Welcome to the Biz Times MKE podcast and our weekly debrief. It's January 28th, and I'm Arthur Thomas, an associate editor here at Biz Times Media. I'm joined on this week's podcast by Biz Times editor Andrew Wyland. Andrew, how's it going? Pretty good. Not too cold. Not too cold. It was cold, you know, a lot colder earlier this week. It's, it's balmy now. Yeah. Uh, also joining us, uh, fellow associate editor, Lauren Anderson. Lauren, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Glad to be here. Excellent. Glad to have you. Well, let's dive right in to our Insider Story Spotlight. This is a chance for us to highlight some of the stories that we wrote this week that are available only to BizTimes Insiders. Uh, it is easy to become an insider. If you're not already, go to biztimes.com, click on the subscribe button, and for the equivalent of $8 a month, you can help support your work, our work. So um, if you are already an insider, we really appreciate that. Thank you. Um, that does help support our work, make what we do possible. Uh, Lauren, we'll start with you. Uh, what is your insider story spotlight this week? Yeah, I want to spotlight Meredith Meyer's um, story this week about she's been covering the uh, proposed venue concert venue in the third ward um that's being proposed by frank production concerts in madison um and it has already generated generated quite a bit of controversy in this uh somewhat sleepy corner of the third ward um this week she had a piece breaking down what uh what is next for this proposal what um boards it has to make its way through uh, the approval process for. And um, she looks into the group that has mobilized in opposition to the proposal and uh, what, what they're up to. So it's a very comprehensive look. If you're wondering what's going on with that and what's next, um, she has all the details in that piece. Yeah, it's one of those where there's not like an obvious, like, oh, it has to go to the common council or the plan commission. There's kind of, you know, more, intricate steps that it's going through in the approval process and getting clearance to build. So I thought that was a great piece to kind of break that down. And Andrew, you had a, a commentary in our latest issue on this kind of, you see this as a really a win potential for the third ward. Uh, I, I think it's a, a, a huge opportunity. It's, it's, you know, as Lauren said, it's a real quiet corner. You know, the trouble of the third ward is, you know, the um, western portion is very densely developed and it's a it's a thriving neighborhood. But a lot of the eastern portion near the Summerfest grounds is just an ocean of, of asphalt and, uh, you know, parking lots. And it's just really a shame. I mean, those parking lots, of course, are critical during Summerfest. But the rest of the year, they're largely unused. It's just a vast amount of, of open space that's really wasted. It's should be considered prime real estate in the third ward near the lakefront, um, near the river too. So yeah. this is a site to this project would activate this site and create a major new destination, a uh, major new entertainment venue for the city. Um, it, it's a really exciting opportunity. Um, yes, there's going to have to be issues to, to manage the impact on the neighborhood, but that just comes with the territory and yes, it's going to create new competition for existing entertainment venues. But, um, you know, that's just life in, in, uh, in the free market. You're going to have they're, they're going to have to compete with this new ent- entity. And, you know, I, I think for, for consumers of entertainment and the music scene in Milwaukee, the, they're going to win. 
So it's, it's really a, it's a tremendous opportunity, quite frankly, to add another great asset to Milwaukee. Yeah. And when we call it a sleepy corner of the third ward, we, uh, we know what we're talking about. Our offices are down on, uh, on Jefferson street, um, near the South gate of Summerfest. So, you know, we, we experience it. We know that, uh, there's not a lot going on. Absolutely. Um, for a good chunk of the year, at least, uh, Andrew, what is your, um, insider spotlight story this week? One thing we really provide to insiders, um, a lot of the coverage that, that we do that's exclusive to insiders is related to people, people, um, getting promoted or getting hired to top level jobs at organizations, um, in Milwaukee, both for profit and nonprofit. Um, and so we had, I wanted to highlight one of those stories this week. We had an interesting story about a longtime city of Milwaukee employee, Jeff Polensky, recently left the city after he had been commissioner. He had been the head of the Department of Public Works for three years. Before that, he had been city engineer for over 18 years. So you're talking about a guy who was really involved in city of Milwaukee Public Works, which is a huge department dealing with, you know, the streets and sewers of Milwaukee. Um, he has recently been hired by a national engineering firm, uh, Michael Baker International, to lead their Wisconsin operations. Uh, the firm has offices in Milwaukee and Madison. Um, you know, I, I think they've been fairly low profile, quite honestly, in Wisconsin. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what Polensky does uh, leading that, that company's Wisconsin presence. Definitely. And uh, if you're interested in more people news, we do have a people weekly newsletter you can sign up for on our website that comes out on Thursday mornings. Um, And if you're a company and you've got new hire announcements or um, promotion announcements, um, you can uh, submit those to run in that uh, for biz people. My insider spotlight story this week um, comes from Rockwell Automation. Uh, it is earnings season and Rockwell released earnings this week and we tuned in to their call and it's kind of an interesting perspective, interesting kind of outlook on where where the economy is or where the industrial um, sector is. Uh, so Rockwell, you know, they're forecasting for the year, you know, pretty strong growth. I think 17 and a half percent is the, the midpoint of their guidance and they're Description of it was, you know, this isn't really about could do we have enough demand to meet that. It's more a question of can we actually produce and keep up with the demand. And I mean, so Rockwell makes a lot of the um, the equipment that goes into automation in factories. So that equipment is increasingly, you know, smart and connected. So it's got computer chips in it, semiconductors, which. Uh, as you may have heard, uh, there's a bit of a, a challenge in, in the supply chain for those lately. So, you know, that's the the factor that's kind of holding them back from greater growth. They had a 40% increase in orders for the for the quarter. Um, so they're seeing plenty of demand. There's a question of if, can they get it out? Uh, the other interesting piece was their CEO talking about, you know, really us being in the the early stages of a multi-year economic expansion um, which as we will get to talking about our economic trends event here in a little bit, but at least for Blake Murray, he's seeing it as kind of years to, you know, years to go on this expansion. So definitely interesting insights. 
Let's turn now to one of the big stories of the week. Uh, we've kind of got two of them. Um, we'll talk, like I mentioned, about our economic trends event. But first, let's touch on what's happening with Kohl's. Retail giant based in Menominee Falls uh, apparently is receiving interest from potential buyers, potential takeover um, suitors. Andrew, uh, Meredith Meyer has been writing about this. What can you tell us about the story? Well, um, it's a little bit of the barbarians at the gate. You've got Kohl's has been under pressure really since, um, I think it was early last year, if not earlier. Um, there have been activist investors putting pressure on Kohl's that they're, they're dissatisfied with the company's stock price and putting pressure on Kohl's to make changes, um, make changes to their board, make changes to their operations. They feel that the company isn't isn't performing um, as it should be, and you know that was sort of a, an issue that came up last year and it was kind of tamped down, and it's it's resurfaced recently, and um, you know with with that we've 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 heard from at least a couple of entities that have made it made it known, and Coles has confirmed. That, that there are at least a couple of entities that have offered to purchase the company, um, you're, you know, and that resulted in a surge in in the, the stock price for Kohl's. Um, you're also seeing speculation by some that perhaps Amazon would be a a, a company that could be interested in buying Kohl's. The you know, Amazon and Kohl's are partners. You know, you can make Amazon returns in Kohl's stores. That was a something that Kohl's did a few years ago that I think was a little eye-opening to people because, you know, you see Amazon as more of a competitor to Kohl's, especially, you know, for a traditionally brick-and-mortar retailer who's, like every brick-and-mortar retailer, had to deal with the challenges of an online online retail primarily from Amazon. Um but there are some who think maybe the time is right for Amazon to actually acquire Kohl's and, and, and Amazon has started to create a bit of a brick and mortar presence. Maybe it would add a big brick and mortar presence if it added Kohl's, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, you've got these activist investors saying Kohl's should make changes. Like maybe it should sell its real estate, presumably sell leaseback deals or, Maybe Kohl's should sell off the the e-commerce side or the, or the online side of the business. Um, meanwhile, you've got the, the the existing Kohl's management saying, you know, that they have a strategic plan that they've been pushing forward. They've added, you know, new partnerships, new brands. You know, I think the Sephora one was a big addition that that they wanted to push. To try to bring in more more customers, they've they've made changes to their stores. They've one thing they haven't done, which a lot of, we saw a lot of retailers do, um, is close a lot of stores. Kohl's hasn't done that. Um, they've reduced the size of their stores. They've um, partnered with Aldi and Planet Fitness to sort of they'll reduce the size of their stores and then turn over the space they've. Um, a, They've let go to not have an Aldi or Planet Fitness within a Kohl's, but basically adjacent to in space that Kohl's used to occupy. So, you know, they've had a strategic plan. They've been trying a lot of things, um, but you've got some of these some of these shareholders that are not at all satisfied with how it's gone so far. 
So there's a lot of pressure on Coles. And I think for us locally, it's a big concern. Anytime you see this happen to a, a big company that's based here, you know, how's this all going to play out? Does the company indeed get sold? What then happens to it? You know, if it's no longer controlled locally uh, or, you know, or at least led locally, Coles has a big local presence. It's a very philanthropic company in the area and obviously has a lot of employees in the area. If Coles is sold, you know, what happens? What happens to its local presence? Um, and that's a very big concern. So it's something really to keep an eye on. Yeah. And the interesting thing, I mean, public companies, they're in essence always, you know, for sale. If someone wants to make an offer for mm-hmm. enough of a, you know, a high enough price, if you're the CEO, uh, if you're the board at some point, if the dollar figure gets high enough, you kind of have to say yes, because you have to have your shareholders uh, interests in mind. Right. Um, and, you know, maybe you think you can create value other ways, but um you know, putting a number that can be tricky. So be interesting to watch how this plays out uh, in the coming weeks and months. Um, if you're interested in learning more about um, kind of everything Coles has done in recent years, Meredith did a great cover story last year uh, when this activist investor group first popped up, um, kind of taking stock of everything Coles had done and was trying to do. Uh, so we'll link to that in the show notes as well. I uh, want to turn now to our Economic Trends event, um, which was held on Thursday at the Italian Community Center um, in the Third Ward. Um, it was great to be back. Uh, Dan Meyer, our publisher, likes to joke that Economic Trends always takes place on the coldest day of the year. We missed that by, I think, a day or so this year. So yeah, yeah. we had that going for us. Yeah. Um, it was a great event, though, and it's good to be back in person. Um, we masked, masked up and all of that um, and taking precautions, but good to be with people and talking to people and seeing people. Uh, we had a number of speakers. We had uh, Michael Knetter from the uh, EW Foundation, uh, former EW Business School Dean, advisor to Presidents uh, H.W. Bush and, and Clinton. Um, so bringing a macroeconomic perspective. We had Jonas Priesing, uh, Chairman and CEO of Manpower Group, uh, Sandy Siegel, a freight forwarder, um, ME Day, she's the president of that company, and Tina Chang uh, from Syslogic, bringing uh, a technology and uh, cybersecurity perspective for us. So great event in that way. Wanted to maybe uh, ask both of you um, for your takeaways from the event and kind of what stood out as we head into 22, uh, 2022. Uh, as it relates to the economy and the world of work. Uh, Lauren, why don't you kick us off? Yeah, several of the speakers talked about, um, you know, the future of work as it relates to hybrid, office, remote, um, you know, everyone that's, that is one of the big topics of conversation these days and everyone wants to know what's going to happen. Um, Jonas said that, he predicted the future of work is going to be in the office, um, but with more flexibility. Um, he talked about how people want to be in the office. They want to be together. So it's not going to be this like choose your own adventure sort of thing where you come, one person comes in on Tuesday, one person comes in on Wednesday. The point of being in the office is to be there together. Um, so 
he he thinks it's going to be office based, but with more flexibility. So that might look like no one bats an eye if you leave early to go pick up your kid from school, or maybe you do work remote on a Friday or something like that. So that's how he saw it. Tina Chang had a different perspective. Of course, she's in the technology space. And so she says Syslogic is going all in on hybrid. That's where they're at. That's where they're going to be. And she didn't anticipate that changing. So it kind of shows the differences in approach across industries. Um, And, you know, all this should be put into the context of we're really talking about roughly 40% of workers who have the op their their jobs can be done remotely or in a hybrid fashion. This isn't a conversation for 60% of the workforce. So um, for them, these conversations about flexibility and working from home are just not not on the table. But uh, for the 40% of us who do more um, office-based work that can translate to remote, uh, that's what they're saying. Yeah, I always whenever I talk to manufacturers about you know, remote work, obviously they have the ability for some of their, you know, um, maybe engineering or, you know, uh, non-production folks to, to go and work remote, but, you know, you can't take, uh, the, uh, a metal stamping, uh, machine home with you too easily. Um, doesn't work too well. So mm-hmm. good point there. And it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, and what each, I mean, each company is probably gonna have to find their own way on this and figure out what's going to work for them and their culture and people that they have. Uh, Andrew, um, what was your big takeaway from the event? Well, one of the interesting things was um, uh, Mike Kinnetter, who, as you mentioned, um, president of the UW Foundation, but he is an economist. He used to be a White House economic advisor. And he is someone, he has spoken at almost all of our economic trends event. He is a, he's, a, he's someone we have return every year to give the macroeconomic outlook. And obviously one of the hot topics this year is what's going on with inflation. And so Mike touched on that and it was interesting, obviously um, last year's inflation of uh, 7% was the highest since 1982. And there's a lot of concern about that. And there's a lot of reasons for it, um, including supply chain issues, including, labor, uh, labor market problems, the tight labor market, but also no doubt the massive amount of stimulus that not just the United States government, but governments around the world have pushed into the economy to try to crop, prop it up during this pandemic. So, you know, Mike was, ta- was talking about how, okay, because I've been asking him, I've been saying, how come the Fed isn't doing anything yet? He's just inflating. The Fed's there to deal with inflation. Why haven't they done anything yet about it? And we talked about was that, you know, the Fed didn't want to act too soon while the economy was in peril during a pandemic. And so the concern was that not to act too quick, allow the economic recovery to take hold. And now that it seems like it is, if you look at how well uh, GDP did in the fourth quarter, combined with inflation, you're saying, okay, inflation is clearly here. Economic recovery um, was pretty good in the fourth quarter. Might not be as well in the first quarter. I guess we have to see how Omicron, how that pans out, how fast it's going to take us to get through that. But he said we're at a stage now where the Fed realizes it needs to step in, and that it will be doing that this year. There will probably be numerous um, interest rate increases, but 
the term he uses is the Fed has to thread the needle between kind of killing the economic recovery, but also dealing with inflation and and and, and maintaining consumer confidence uh, and the economic momentum, but also addressing inflation so that doesn't get out of control. So uh, I think his projection for the year was 3.8% inflation, which would be a lot better than seven last year. But uh, inflation is still going to be a concern, uh, no doubt about it. But we're going to see the Fed stepping up to the plate uh, to address it this year, uh, Connor said. Yeah, I thought it was interesting how, as he talked about it, how much it's like it can be not just in the actual tools the Fed has to use, but almost in the the psychology of the economy and kind of the, the sentiment piece of, you know, not getting people overly concerned about it or different things where it's, you know, less about the hard numbers and more about kind of the feeling, um, which goes to that point of threading the needle uh, that, that he mentioned. Yeah. Consumer confidence and, and psychology is always an important factor. It's, it's hard to necessarily put a finger on it, but it's, it's, it's crucial. Mm-hmm. Uh, turning to my big takeaway um, from this, uh, Sandy Siegel's remarks um, mentioned she's president of ME Day, um, so they're a freight forwarder and a customs broker. Um, when I was talking to her ahead of the event, she kind of described her work as a little bit like a travel agent for your your cargo. Um, <laughs> so, if you want to get a sense of what she's doing as her work, so she's really you know helping companies get their 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 uh, supplies or products in a lot of cases, you know, from Asia to the U S and she shared a whole lot of interesting statistics about, you know, how much prices have increased and things have been delayed and all of that. Um, But her other point around as this moves forward, one, she didn't see the, the supply chain issues that we've been dealing with really abating until at least after the second quarter, uh, the ocean carriers are kind of, they're in the strongest position here um, because everyone wants their service. So um, they they get to kind of set the terms and they're trying to set terms that are better for them. And she encouraged, you know, if you're a manufacturer or you're, you're bringing stuff in from overseas in any way, uh, kind of throw out everything you've known in the past about, you know, how to do that and get creative and look piece by piece at what makes the most sense and understand that it's a fluid situation and really pay attention to the details. You know, she was saying it can be down to the, you know, the terminal level, um, you know, within a port of, you know, depends on where you, where your product comes in, whether things go quickly or they, they don't move quickly, or maybe in one week it makes sense to take something up to the port in Tacoma, Washington, and the next it doesn't. Um, and all these kind of constant changes of, really she was encouraging people to, you know, pay really close attention to details, um, which, you know, this whole supply chain thing goes to what I was talking about earlier with the Rockwell story. Um, and they're, you know, being able to get uh, semiconductors in the first quarter, they said they were able to get more than they expected. So their earnings look better and they were already cautioning, Hey, next quarter, we don't think it's going to be so good. So don't quite expect that from us. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how this keeps playing out. Um, but we at least they were in for two more quarters in, in her view of uh, the supply chain chaos. So 
Yeah, that's that's not surprising to me because it really is a mess and it really is complicated. And it was it was great to hear her perspective on uh, a crucial issue right now. Absolutely. Well, we will leave it there uh, for this week on the Biz Times MKE podcast and our weekly debrief. Andrew and Lauren, thank you for joining me. Absolutely. Have a good one. This is Dan Meyer with Biz Times Media. You've been listening to the Biz Times MKE podcast. For more business news and insights, be sure to go to biztimes.com and subscribe to any of our daily e-newsletters and our magazine, Biz Times Milwaukee.